Welcome, everybody. I'm Mark Peter Davis, Managing Partner of Interplay. I'm on a mission to help entrepreneurs advance society, and this podcast is part of that effort. Today, we have our standard partner meeting, but it has been in a bizarre week. As everyone knows, we've had three banks collapse in the last seven, eight, nine days. Silvergate, SVB, and Signature Bank. Uh, a lot of political decisions were made. Things happened. Uh, the Interplay team has been working around the clock to support entrepreneurs through the service companies, lots of clients trying to figure out how to navigate this, portfolio companies figuring out financing solutions. Thankfully, it seems like all of the major immediate impacts have been unraveled with uh, guaranteed liquidity. Uh, but there is still a lot to come on this. There's a lot of implications, uh, both short and long term. So we do a little bit. Of, we have a little bit of an interesting segment today. We actually recorded Chris's segment on the broader market hours before SBV, SVB actually closed shop. And since so much has changed since then, we recorded a second segment. And we thought the first segment was pretty good. And so we actually are putting the segments back to back. So you can hear kind of a before and after, and I think they line up pretty nicely and share really relevant insight. We'll help you understand what's happening, why it's happening, and what it means. Enjoy. Yeah, so first of all, this is the elephant in the room. Uh, we're going to talk about it. I'm itching to talk about it. But before that, I want to cover two macro topics first that are also okay. important this week. Um, and, and, but the headline to you, your question, just so that I don't leave it hanging is Silvergate is definitely much more benign situation. The way management handled communication, the way they actually panned out, how it's winning down its operations, guaranteeing its deposit base to be paid back. It's, it's okay. This is, it's happened. It's okay. What's it's, so SVB on the other hand is a totally different situation and it's looking like it's going into the gutters. So uh, we'll talk about that. And, and, and they're very different situations. All right, so let's talk about macro first. Uh, two very important things happened this week. First one is Fed comments. So uh, you know, tied to inflation, tied to, tied to uh, interest rate curve. We've been talking about this for months. But importantly, Chairman Powell came, uh, came out on Tuesday, uh, uh, Mar March 6th, I believe, spoke to the Senate Banking Committee. and. It's safe to say that the, the one-liner summary is that he was a lot more hawkish than expected during a speech. And it's, he was very, very clear as well. And I quote him, latest economic data has come out stronger than expected, which suggests that the ultimate level of interest rates is likely to be higher than previously anticipated. Okay, so this is something we've been talking about. We expected this to happen. Market apparently did not. Immediate aftermath repriced the in entire interest rate curve now, going into March 21, 22nd, uh, FOMC, Mark is now pricing in a 50 basis point hike as opposed to 25. That will bring us to a 5% hurdle uh, for front-end interest rate. The, the entire front-end part of the treasury curve has also been repriced. We're talking about a 15, 20 basis point increase intra-week. And the peak interest rate now has been pricing by the market is at 5.3 by August this year but still, uh, for some reason, pricing a cut uh, by the end of the year. So we're getting closer. The broader highlight is we're getting closer and closer to what internally we expect, which is a 5.5%, 6% range of peak interest rates and staying there for longer. And, and so we're getting closer to that, which is, which is a good thing. 
Um, uh, equity, of course, as in responding to this, you know, intraday, we, uh, intraweek, we sold off a lot even before the whole SVP situation. So all this I see is healthy and we're getting closer to what we expect. Okay. That's point number one. Point number two, jobs. So uh, just came out today, FO, uh, uh, the, the non-farm payroll data for February 20, 2023. This is the data that everyone's been waiting for. Uh, again, the headline is very strong. We added 311,000 jobs, which is beating the 225,000 jobs consensus. And interestingly, unemployment actually ticked up by 20 basis points. So now we're finally off the 54-year low. We're at 3.6%. Largely, this is because uh, in February, we added 419,000 uh, jobs total into the labor force. So labor force participation has now finally uh, basically come back to pre-pandemic levels. Um, and a lot of that is led by, as we can expect, leisure and hospitality. Uh, and, and retail, a little bit of government jobs and healthcare. Transportation was a sector that suffered. But broadly speaking, labor market is very strong. One counter-argument to that is the average hourly earning. So that, that came as part of the report. Average hourly earning uh, grew by a slower, slower than anticipated amount. Um, on the surface, it's actually good news for inflation. It means people, you know, the, as the wage goes down, aggregate demand should go down, where thereby slowing down inflation. But we don't really know whether this sort of slower than expected increase is due to the type of jobs that were added, meaning less management, more entry-level jobs, or is it because everybody's wages are actually slowing down, right? The wage growth slowing down. In the case of the first, it's, it doesn't do much to do too much to inflation. In case of the second, it does. So we don't know whether this is a good thing or bad thing for inflation, but at least it's trending in the right direction. That's okay. it for the macro segment. So the wave is still there? moving through the economy. Things are yep. still going. Let's talk about the banks because that's yeah, that's the current. We got to know. I got to know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. So, um, man, it's been a blood bloodbath week for the financial sector this week. Um, let's just say before we delve into this SVB at, on an aggregate level, the S and P financial sector, which traditionally has been a very defensive sector, was down eight point three percent week to date. For the week ending in uh, ending on March March 10, which is the worst week since the major sell off we experienced in 2020. Okay, that's the headline. Silvergate, I think you've talked about with Brad. Uh, as I mentioned, they lost a lot of money uh, in sort of treasuries, right? And and of course, uh, investor withdrawing deposits, etc. Which that's what led them to to sell the assets in a, at, a, at a less than ideal time. They're winding down operations just go relatively smoothly. Uh, there's no hiccup so far. So that's okay. Silicon Valley Bank, um, frankly, the way I'm seeing it now, as people still digest the news, they basically shot themselves in the foot. They, they were obviously aware of what's happening with Silvergate, but for whatever reason, they've decided to come out and raise over $2 billion in equity financing in the same week where people were worried about Silvergate and whole deposit base. In their own words, to shore up, to shore up their capital stack, to shore up their, their their liquidity situation. People are obviously worried about this, so that trigger that basically basically push all, all the investors to to uh, to get a closer look of their balance sheet, see what happened, 
they effectively had to sell $21 billion worth of government bonds at a $1.8 billion loss, right? And so that's number one. So mismanaged balance sheet on their end. Secondly, you know this, Mark, this SVB is not, does not have a well-diversified deposit base. It's mostly servicing VCs, entrepreneurs, founders. We all knew what happened last year in, 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 in the tech world. More cash burn, less valuation growth, less money coming in, less money being raised, which means less deposit base, more forced withdrawal, which leads to more forced selling at a loss. So this is a classic, classic bank run situation right now we have going. Um, the equity of the stock sold off, I think, 60, more than 60% yesterday during the day. And in the aftermarket, it sold off by another 25%. Wow. Today, this, this morning, it opened up another 40 to 60% down, which halted the market trading. So this is effectively like a Lehman for VCs and, and entrepreneurs. Um, we've heard internally, a lot of uh, uh, VCs are, are also advising their portfolio companies to withdraw cash if they, they have any exposure. Um, you know, used Square Ventures, a few other funds have come out publicly, sort of uh, um, uh, 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 giving advice to their portfolio companies. And so the bank run situation has been compounded. At this point, we don't know what's going to happen because it's, 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 we don't know the numbers. It's not public. We only have sort of their February numbers uh, 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 and don't have anything current. But my sense is that we, they are getting closer, if not already, in the in the in the sort of insolvent situation, where their their the the capital flight is much greater than what they actually have as liquid as part of the balance sheet. So, what's going to happen? Well, we need a white knight. They need a white knight. They need a consortium of of probably private equity firms. I don't think any bank will come in here and and help them out. And so they need a consortium of private equity firms to come in and rescue them. Uh, potentially buy all the assets, uh, and 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 so far that's not been the case. They they tried this morning, tried overnight. Um, nothing. There are rumors flying all around. There's there's no concrete plan as of yet, and they need this capital fast. Every minute matters. There's more deposit being withdrawn every minute, and when they get to a point where this is truly insolvent, that will be too late. So let's see what happens. So was SVB actually in financial trouble, like real financial trouble when they started all of this? Because the major story is people got nervous in the context of what was yeah. going on in the market, the Silvergate. Everyone was nervous. They got a little bit of bad news from SVB and there was a run on the bank and everyone took their money out. And that actually killed SVB. Okay. Were they actually in real financial trouble before everyone started pulling their money out? They were not insolvent. That's for sure. Just looking at their 10K from February this year, they were not insolvent. They had, uh, they're, they're, they're not well capitalized, but they were not insolvent. They incurred a massive loss in their forced uh, selling of government bonds and mortgage-backed securities. And just to, so I, I understand, these are fixed rate instruments. Right. So as interest rate rose unexpectedly last year, they took a mark to market loss on these instruments, but they didn't realize them until they had to be basically forced sold, which, right. which is what panned out afterwards. So they're not insolvent. 
but they're not well capitalized. And more importantly, is their deposit base incredibly concentrated? And that's the point I want to really drive through here is because naturally the question you will ask is, is this going to be systemic? Is this going to affect all banks? Like what the S&P financial sector has been experiencing this week? My inclination is no, this should not be systemic. So in that case, it's not so similar to Lehman because most of the banks out the big ones are well, very well capitalized now versus 2008. And they have a very diverse, diversified deposit base. So any particular sector downturn won't affect them as much. But for banks that are, let's say, regionally located, have a very concentrated deposit base, and is not well capitalized, and there are a few banks, there are a few names out there that you know you can probably think about similar profile to SVB, that will be systemic. They will be in trouble. So it feels like the narrative lately, obviously, has been tech companies in trouble. We're, this, the, we're the industry that's getting hit hardest by the overarching shift. Is this the, you know, are, are we the bellwether, the canary in the coal mine of like, hey, uh, a tidal wave's coming, we've hit the tech industry, and now it's going to bleed through? Or is most of the story about this economic cycle going to be the tech industry, and then it kind of filters out a little bit to everybody else, but not as big? I So far, I think it's still very much contained in, in tech in general. A lot of it, obviously, is, is the valuation. Uh, it was the bubble that was created in 2020, 2021. Um, so far, we haven't seen a really widespread implication to other sectors. And there, in fact, there are sectors that are booming more so than people expect by like energy and uh, hospitality. So it's very to, so far is limited impact. Where are we in that cycle within tech? That's the part, that's the trillion dollar question. We don't know because every week seems like they're, they're, there's more and more implications that, that are coming out. For instance, SVB. Um, and we don't even know what, how SVB is gonna play out because if they ultimately have to go through chapter seven, hopefully not, and, and, and how will that translate to the cash burns, the, 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 the loans, the operating loans that, that all these startups depended on GP commits the the you know it's 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 going to be systemic within tech um, if they have to go through chapter seven and everyone had to take the mark down. So let's see. I mean, we'll see how this plays out in the next week or two. Wild times. Thank you, Chris. Of course, pleasure. So, Chris, it's been a hell of a week in startup land. Uh, we've never done this before, but the last segment we recorded. Before this fall of SVB, uh, we're now recording a couple days after the fall. Uh, we just felt like we, I feel like we have to add something to kind of get people color in what's going on. Too much has changed in a few days. So what, what's, yeah. uh, catch us up. What's the latest? Yeah, Mark, I, I, I think the impact is not just in startup land. I think this has been probably one of the most excruciating weekend uh, really in everybody's mind, uh, uh, in recent memory. Um, Friday, we absolutely ended on, on, on the worst note possible. There was maximum uncertainty and minimum resolution. Market absolutely hated it. We're in the gutters by the close on, on Friday, uh, I believe March 10th. And um, over the weekend, it was just uh, uh, zero news. 
up until around right around 6 p.m. Sunday night. Right on schedule, there was a joint statement that came out from the Fed, FDIC, and the Treasury uh, in what I consider a, an unprecedented move. Uh, effectively, everyone involved in the government came came together and published a joint state, statement and effectively guaranteeing the deposits from SVB and Signature Bank. Signature Bank also closed um, uh, over the weekend. And this is uh, more to do with Silvergate and crypto uh, than SVB, than startup in general. But it shows you the contagion at that point has spread so significantly that it's causing uh, all these second order, third order impacts. In addition to the guaranteeing of deposits, the Fed also launched a what's called a bank term funding program, BTFP, offering loans to all effectively up to one year maturity to effectively all depository institutions in the US who can pledge treasuries, agency debt, mortgage-backed securities as, as collateral, which is basically what all of them hold anyways on their, on their, on their assets. And this, at least temporarily, has stopped the bank run from Friday. Um, but it did not, in any shape or form, stop the volatility on Monday. Um, on Monday, and, and this is where um, the, sort of the postmortem of this whole situation started to really pan out. Basically, I don't even know. They're just every market uh, was volatile. It doesn't. It's not just equities in in the regional banks, which is what everyone's been talking about in, in probably media. It's everything. It's it's interest rates. It's equity. It's global equity. It's currency. Every single market was going was going through incredible volatility, like what we've seen in the likes of March 2020 and the financial crisis. Just a few highlights in, in those markets, just get, sort of so that people can have a sense of magnitude. Um, let's start with Treasury curve. The two-year Treasury curve rallied a hundred basis points on Friday and Monday, and ultimately uh, in, on Tuesday, uh, March fourteenth day, which we're recording, recovered twenty basis points. A hundred basis point move in a two-year and a fifty basis point move in a ten-year Treasury. This is the equivalent to effectively a 25, 30 volatility adjusted, about 25 to 30% move, move in an equity market. In, in wow. An incredible amount of volatility. And what does that mean um, from an FOMC perspective, the Fed meeting that we're going to have uh, next week? Effectively, the market right before Friday, before the collapse of SVB, the market was pricing in a 25 to 50 basis point hike. On Monday, given the rates move, now the market is pricing a, pricing in a zero percent move, and not only that, in a hundred basis point cut by the end of the year. So this has completely changed the picture. We've talked about this internally. They're obviously on paper dual mandate from the Fed: inflation and uh, employment. But there's secretly there's a third mandate, and this third mandate even though it's not mandated by law, it's arguably the most important, the one that takes priority uh, when it surfaces, which is market stability. So I guess what I'm trying to say is I, I personally haven't been in the market um, in the past. I don't see this move as uh, very unpredictable and unprecedented. I think 
that the, the, the way the industry markets are pricing these moves, how that we are shifting from a hiking cycle immediately to a, to a cutting cycle makes sense because this is the number one priority. The Fed needs to come out and accommodate the market instead of tightening the market and, and just reintroduce stability. And after that, we can talk about inflation. We can talk about employment. Nothing else matters as much. Um, and that's just the interest rate market. I mean, we're, what we're seeing is a complete reversal also in the equity market. This is, this is where um, things are probably the most volatile and that's received the most amount of coverage. The regional banks, um, everything from sort of second in command, FRB, to the smaller regional banks people never heard of, as long as they're publicly traded, we're seeing shares moving in 20, 30, 40, 60% intraday up and down. Um, it, it makes sense, again, because SVB, yes, deposits were insured, but equity was entirely wiped out. Loans and bonds are absolutely impaired. We're talking about you know, the bids in the market are showing 20, 30 cents on the dollar. So it's a good news deposits are, are insured, but absolutely horrible news for any equity holder of any banks. Um, of course, uh, there's always a winner from all of this. And that's the big, the bulge bracket. JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, uh, you know, the big bulge bracket banks have all gained significant amount of deposits overnight. And the shares are trading accordingly. I went to dinner last, yeah, sorry. There's March. other winners in this too. I think the macro yeah. winners are the big banks. Um, yeah. And I've had some of those conversations too. The neo banks are also crushing it. Right. Uh, we're investors in a company called Row, Row.co, and they kind of they have a modern interface for a bank. They've got a product which allows companies to hold up to $75 million of capital in one account with FTIC coverage because it's like a metabank. On the back yeah. end, they're spreading that capital across 400 accounts. They, we're seeing all of the neobanks explode with yeah. deposits as people are looking for different types of products and solutions in the market right now. Yeah, absolutely. There's tech solution out there, like you mentioned, that effectively spreads your deposit base automatically for you across 50 different institutions under the FDIC insurance limit. It's a smart move. Um, it, it's, it, it, frankly, depositors should never have a risk to begin with. But we're, 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 the, the aftermath is such that we're, we're now in a world where we need to worry about it. And why spend all the effort opening up all, new, new, all the new bank accounts across this institution, reestablish relationships when you can just you know, do it with one, one account? Um, I would uh, sort of caution against counterparty risk. Just make sure uh, you're not taking on additional counterparty risk by, by doing this. But I agree with you. This it's generally a, a good idea. So maybe let's talk about uh, impacts uh, yeah, uh, in you know, short term, medium term, long term impact. And this is just my view. Um, I did go to a dinner last night with a bunch of other CIOs of different um, uh, institutional level family offices where we sat down and talked about this. I think we all agree at the end that in the short term, we're definitely going to, to see continued volatility in regional banks. And this will largely accelerate the tightening of 
what is currently where, where we're currently in where we are currently in the credit cycle. We're sort of already in the tightening cycle, but now this move just accelerated that. Um, in the medium term, this is where I think things really get interesting. I personally think, uh, given where rates are and where rates will be, at least according to the market, there's going to be an accelerated weakening of the dollar, as we sort of first talked about beginning at the beginning of the year. And on the back of that, and of course, as lower rates as well, I personally think we're, we're going to see a reversal and, in fact, a broad-based stock rally in equities in the medium term once the initial wave of fear and and all the messes get get sorted out. Right. But there will be winners and losers, of course. It's not it's, when I say broad-based, I don't mean literally everybody. I'm, I'm in most sectors, but especially the big tech, which were be, were really hit in 2021 and 2022 when when the Fed began to really hike. And also in in sectors that are already winners and will become even bigger winners like energy uh, on the back of a weaker dollar and travel and hospitality. So th there will be winners for sure, but the regional banks will be continue to, to be volatile. I, before I even move on the long-term, I wanna highlight one more thing, which is I, I think it's, it needs to be addressed that the, the regional banks serve, as a, serve a very important role in the lending and financial health of, of the US. It, the last thing you want is the bigger the, the bulge bracket banks taking all the businesses and making the entire lending market in the US not competitive. So if you're a business, you, you want to borrow a loan, you want these smaller players to come in and offer you competitive rates. That accelerates your business growth and, and drives down your cost of capital. You do not want to only deal with trillion dollar banks that couldn't care about you and give you the most horrible rates. So there's definitely a role here, and I really, really hope that uh, you know vast majority of these sort of middle market and, and regional banks survive this fiasco, and that requires a lot of leadership, I think, from the government. The longer term impact, and this is the part I think um, we've talked about also previously in the pod. I think this is ultimately really bad for the dollar as the reserve currency. This destroys confidence and certainly makes you question the trust. Like if you're an international investor, you saw, you follow what happened over the weekend, you have to think about diversifying away from the dollar. You just don't know what will happen if this bank run doesn't stop. Like you, just, you just hate to think about what could have happened and, and what that would do uh, to, what it, to what's already a very challenging balance sheet uh, in, the US, in, the US, in the US government. If you add another trillion dollars to our debt, what would happen to the dollar? So it's, 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 it's something I think no one's talking about, but I think it, it, this is the most fundamental impact out of this entire narrative. I mean, this is the Ray Dalio thesis. Yeah. That we're, that we're on a collision course with losing reserve currency status, which I don't know if people understand, but Right now, we basically can lend money to ourselves in any other country because everyone wants to hold dollars. If they stop wanting to hold dollars, uh, we basically have to live within our means, which is what every other country more or less does. They largely spend what they earn. They borrow. But we are able to do it at insane levels 
because we are the bank. Yeah. And uh, the England was the bank before us until the 60s. They were the reserve currency. Uh, and there's no reason to believe we will be the bank forever if we have a huge uh, debt problem in the country. Yeah, 100%. So let's see what will happen. We're, we're at the early innings of this. There's by no means uh, the show has stopped. Uh, we need to, everyone needs to continue to be alert and monitor the situation. Um, yeah, let's see. Thank you, Chris. A quick reminder for everybody, Chris is a SEC registered RAA and nothing he said should be considered investment advice. Thanks, Mark. What's up, Brett? What's going on, Mark? Uh, yeah, this week has been uh, a little bit hectic from a, a banking perspective. Um, yeah, but it's, it's, it feels like one week after another, walls are falling down. You know, there's a ripple effect still happening. Yeah, for, for people that don't know, Silvergate, um, one of the, the early uh, banks to actually embrace crypto and go all in on it um, has, is going to be closing its doors. Uh, they let us know that uh, a couple of days ago. <clears throat> um, they lost about a billion dollars uh, last quarter and, you know, customers withdrew. I think it was it was like ten billion dollars. Um, uh, so it's really unfortunate because I, I think they were uh, a, a tremendous, uh, you know, boon for the industry because they allowed a seamless process for crypto companies and venture funds to, you know, actually start exploring this space. So it's it's sad to see to see them go go down. Uh, but to sort of compound things, uh, shortly after SVB, uh, they had also said that they were having issues um <clears throat> with with their banking uh but that's more holistic not necessarily crypto specific um so they they reported that they sold uh, i think it was 21 billion dollars worth of its securities for uh, about 2 billion dollar loss to to uh you know shore up some assets on its its balance sheet began raising capital from a number of other venture firms because they do a lot of work with with VCs. So, um, you know, they provide a lot of funding for VCs and they do a great job. Um, but unfortunately, that didn't quell a lot of the concerns Wall Street had about it. Uh, the stock fell by by about 60 percent yesterday, which is which is pretty crazy. Um, and that I believe it went down more than 20 percent after after hours. So. Um, so yeah, even though the SVB thing isn't necessarily crypto specific, um, you know, to, there there are a lot of people that use SVB for crypto banking. Um, it sort of runs with the theme of uh, you know regulators really cracking down on on banks that that deal in crypto, uh, which is very unfortunate because there's a lot of people out there, uh, a lot of banks that really want to comply, um, and, and there are people that are have tried to build businesses that uh, are actively uh, looking for regulation and, and, you know, ways to comply, uh, but they're not doing that. Um, and I think I had mentioned the phrase operation choke point, which isn't, uh, hasn't been confirmed to be, you know, an actual thing, but um, you know, they're, they're targeting <clears throat> the banking system to eliminate a lot of people's uh, ability to transact within crypto. Okay, hold on a sec. So but the, the SVB part, 
that's not related to crypto. That's ripple effect of the economy. Yeah. Skit, you know, a, a run in the bank happened. A lot of VC yeah. investors sent out a message to their portfolio companies saying, hey, go down to your FD, FDIC coverage limits, which is 250K. Right. That further screwed up their balance sheet. Yeah. But the, the crypto side of the story, what was the trade the bank had made that got them in trouble? Like, what were they doing? Uh, SVB or Silvergate? No. Silvergate. Silver like, how do they lose the billion dollars? Because it seems to me you take in the money, you assign an interest rate, that's your cost, right? It's a chunk of your cost. Yeah. And then you go loan the money. Were they making loans into the crypto world? Because that seems risky. Or were they merely holding cash assets for crypto-related companies? Or did the actual fall, the loss, have nothing to do with crypto itself? Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously, it never helps that the crypto industry was down in general, uh, you know, in terms of uh, the amount of deposits they had on hand. But, but the real issue is uh, they held, uh, you know, in their, in their treasury, they held long-term tra- U.S. treasuries. Uh, and obviously, with the big rise in interest rates and the convexity with the relationship between interest rates and bond prices, they had uh, a, a pretty large loss on huh. on their U.S. Treasury positions. So ultimately, it just had to do with uh, the Federal Reserve. And you can you can make the case that you know they shouldn't have been in long term bonds because of uh, for that reason. Uh, but nevertheless, it was uh, more of an economic issue, in my opinion, than it was necessarily a crypto issue. Um, I, I don't know if uh, people know the the story about Silvergate, but they started as a a really small bank out in California, and when they heard about crypto, they they sort of uh, did away with the rest of their business and went all in on on crypto. So um, you know they. Without any regulatory clarity or, or anything like that, they just went, uh, you know, headfirst into the space, and uh, you know they had done a good job and arguably could have managed their their balance sheet a lot better. Um, but but that being said, uh, it's it's unfortunate that that they fell. And uh, yeah, I mean, banking for crypto services is is uh, it's hard to come by nowadays. Okay, so it. It's a crypto bank, but the reason it fell is because they made the wrong trade on U.S. interest rates with the cash. More or less. Yeah, more or less. Yeah. Um, they were betting on interest rates staying low, and they went up. Yeah, right? and, and it, yeah, it's typically not that big of a deal. It's not um, how the – it's getting marketed. It's getting marketed as crypto folding, you know, another yeah. crypto disaster. Yeah, no, it doesn't have anything uh, to do with with really crypto. I mean, it's related to crypto to the extent that you know, if if it wasn't such a bear market, uh, you know, arguably they would have had more business, and you know, you wouldn't have been able to uh, you know see the exposure uh, on the treasury side. But uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, the way you hear politicians talking about it would make it seem like you know. Not only is crypto reckless, but, uh, you know, the people that quote are, are trying to be compliant with us are also reckless. Uh, that that I don't believe is is the case. That's just, you know, some showman's, uh, showmanship by politicians, uh, you know, pushing their books. So uh, and, and a lot of these banks, even though uh, they hold longer term treasuries, uh, you know, there was there was a bit of a run at Silvergate. But 
uh, a lot of these banks hold the treasuries to maturity. So uh, these are all mark-to-market losses. Um, there are very well maybe another bank that has a similar balance sheet, but didn't get negative publicity for one reason or another. Um, and they're still up and running. And we may never know if this type of a situation, if it were to happen to them, that they would also fold. So, you know, it's partly a confidence issue that, uh, you know, unfortunately, politicians and people that are against crypto uh, push this irresponsible uh, narrative against Silvergate, which caused a run and then, you know, sort of exposed, uh, you know, this riskier, you could say, part of their portfolio. But uh, I, I wouldn't say it's it's tremendously different from what a lot of banks are doing. It's just, you know, you don't necessarily uh, either but the know risky part it. of the portfolio is U.S. Treasuries. Yeah. So they That's had a lot hilarious. of That's not lot, the narrative. Okay. They had a lot of interest rate risk. So, yeah. You know, it's, um, it's interesting how delicate the psychology is for commercial banking, right? If people yeah. are scared that the money's not going to be there, you have no money, everyone withdraws, yeah. and you're host. And that's yeah. what happened to both these um, both these banks in one week. Yeah. So it's uh, yeah. a bizarre had, moment and a bizarre business in that regard. Yeah, and Silvergate had a network that connected all of the crypto exchanges and, and made it a lot more efficient. So that's going to be gone. Um, so yeah, again, it's 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 pretty sad to see to see Silvergate go down. And you know, again, even though SVB isn't crypto specific, um, they are certainly, you know, embracing crypto. So, you know, unfortunately they get tied into the, the negative connotations of, of being associated with the space. So, um, but otherwise they're, they're just a broader venture, um, venture exposed company. Thank you, Brett. Appreciate the update. Thank you, Mark. All right. So this has been a big conversation about all the things changing and what it all means. Um, we've stayed pretty macro, high level in how we're thinking about this. I just want to give a quick shout out. There's a lot of people who lost a lot of sleep over the last week. Founders, teens, not knowing what's going to happen with payroll and their jobs and their companies and their life's work. There's a ton of people at these banks that have collapsed that have just found themselves in a really tough situation. So just know um, we're thinking of you. We're out here. If anyone needs help, definitely reach out to Interplay. You can find us at our website, interplay.bc, or get me on Twitter at MPD. Uh, but we're here to support.